Today's broadcast was originally recorded on January 9th, 2023. I think it's paradoxical to say that his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal laws. Well, paradoxical is a nice way to put it. And that was the Republican judge. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast. That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Uh, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Fairmont, West Virginia's WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF, we also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And all-around swell fellow, still overcoming COVID, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling-ish edition of the Bradcast. (laughs) Thrilling-ish. We'll see. Uh, We'll we'll get to the uh, exceedingly ridiculous case in the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that you heard the... uh, Uh, George H.W. Bush uh, uh, judge there at the top of the show uh, citing how paradoxical it is that a president is sworn to protect the laws but may break them himself. Because why not? Because that's the argument Donald J. Trump is making, was making on Tuesday in uh, in the appeals court in in hopes of uh, uh, avoiding his criminal trial, which is coming down uh, in March in theory, unless he's able to push it back. Anyway, we will get to that shortly where he is literally, yes, arguing that a president would be allowed to break any law he wanted to if he did it while as president, including ordering his political opponent to be assassinated. Yes, that came up in the hearing on Tuesday and that that would be legal under almost every circumstance. But since that whole thing, that whole case, as important, I guess, and certainly unprecedented as it is, is so ridiculous and everyone is pretty much spending time on that idiocy today, I want to at least start with something else. 
Uh, and we will uh, finish, if all goes well, with Desi Doyen and our latest Green News report. Yay! Yay, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Des, how are you feeling? Is your COVID uh, diagnosis of last week, is that still fully a thing of the past or is it coming back? It is fully a thing of the past, but I'm still tired. Well, yeah, and I think I'm pretty much done now as well, but I also remain tired. Uh, I mean, it's like recovering from a flu. You know, you still have some vestiges of it in the past. Luckily, it's another slow news week this week, so we <laughs> we'll, that shouldn't cause any uh, complications. We'll be able to relax. By the way, there was, you know, I, I uh, told everyone yesterday how happy I was with Paxlovid when we uh, initially tested positive, well, when you did and then I did about a week later, and that it knocked it right out. That's true, although they did warn that there can be a rebound effect with, um, with Paxlovid that you can all of a sudden test positive again a week later. Yes, you can. But actually, the studies show that it's not just for people who take Paxlovid. Anyone who gets COVID, about 2% of cases will get a rebound effect. Oh, you and your data again. Yeah, you know, your science. science. Yeah, I know. Uh, this from Mark B. Uh, to Bradcast at bradblog.com. Hi, Brad. I'm a longtime fan of the Bradcast. I recently signed up for a monthly support, support subscription. Oh. To help you uh, to help assure that you and Desi can continue to inform and educate voters during this year of the most important election ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much for that, Mark. Uh, he said, I enjoyed uh, today's broadcast. This was after our previous show. Glad you and Desi are on the road to rapid and complete recovery from COVID-19 with the help of Paxlovid. Wondering if you experienced the unpleasant Paxlovid-caused terrible taste side effect. Uh yeah. Yes. Yeah, both of us did actually. Uh, they it sort of tasted like metal. Is that yeah, a, it, a metallic taste? Yeah, it's tolerable. Uh, it, well, as Mark says, it's worth suffering through it yes. in order to have a milder <laughs> and shorter illness, in my opinion. And I agree with you, Mark. Uh, warmest regards, he he sends. Thank you very much for that uh, note. Yeah, I think we are still doing okay. Still doing better. Not yet rebounding. I still have the metallic taste in my mouth because I'm still uh, working through Paxlovid. Desi, hopefully, is that gone? Now it's that gone. Oh, it? yeah, right. it goes away almost right away. So. All right, now on to some actual news. Uh, one week after the Iowa caucuses, it will be the first primary election of the year in New Hampshire, where Democrats have decided not to compete, holding South Carolina some weeks later as their uh, first official primary contest. And that, of course, may free up a bunch of folks in New Hampshire who might have otherwise voted in the Democratic primary to vote and or cause mischief for Republicans in New Hampshire. There's also a big push uh, among a bunch of uh, folks in New Hampshire, Democrats in New Hampshire, to write in Joe Biden's name. New Hampshire is holding a Democratic primary anyway, but Joe Biden has not uh, put himself onto that uh, into that contest. So. A bunch of Democrats may either vote in the Democratic primary anyway, and they may write in Dean Phillips. No, they may vote for Dean Phillips. I think he's actually on the ballot. Joe Biden may be a write-in candidate, we'll see, or some of those Democrats may just decide to go vote in the Republican contest. So as the year kicks off, and after spending some time over the holidays... 
talking to various sort of left-leaning folks who were sort of freaked out about polling last year, showing Donald Trump defeating Joe Biden, either nationally or in uh, key swing states. I think a bit of a corrective is due as we start the year. Now, as we discussed before the end of the year, as I recall, a a lot of that polling uh, that is freaking out Democrats uh, comes at a time before many in in many of those states that were polled, many of them before they were even focusing on the 2024 election or or they were and are still under the impression that the presumptive current choices for the 2024 general election, that would be. Uh, a rerun of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, that that might be affected by the way they answer pollsters on those questions about who they support. In other words, folks who watch polls uh, closely suggest that many voters last year may have been and perhaps still are answering some of those pollsters uh, questions strategically. In other words, You know, they may be voters who, for example, given a choice in November between Biden and Trump, would absolutely vote for Biden. But right now, for whatever reason, they tell pollsters that they prefer to see someone other than Biden as the Democratic option. So they tell pollsters they don't plan to vote for Biden or they don't support him in hopes of maybe encouraging an alternate nominee. You may see the very same thing on the Republican side as well. So the point being, don't take too much from general polling almost a year out, especially in this insane political environment. Uh, I think that makes sense to to not take it, uh, take it with a grain of salt. It's one of the reasons that uh, I or we here have not been freaking out or even been covering those polls very much. Now, we don't tend to spend a lot of time on the polls, on the horse race stuff anyway, on this show. We focus more on the track conditions on which those horses are running. Do people understand that metaphor still this year, Desi Doyen? I hope so. Uh, you know, if if you got a great horse that you're betting on, but he's or she is running on a muddy track, well, that great horse that uh, you know was an even money uh, odds on winner ends up not doing quite as well, depending on the track conditions. The track conditions being who gets to vote, what type of voting systems are they using? How badly are their districts gerrymandered there for you go. You know, unfair elections? Correct. We spend more time on that, less time on polling. But given the freakout at the end of the year last year, and given some new numbers today in New Hampshire, where voters actually are focusing at least a bit more on the election because they'll be voting in about two weeks time or they're perhaps already doing so in early voting. I think that a bit of a corrective to at least some of the conventional corporate media polling wisdom or freak out, at least on some points, may be in order here and might offer some perspective today. As you know, last year I spent quite a bit of time sharing my inescapable feeling And it was no more than that, of course, that Donald Trump may not actually be on the November 2024 ballot when all is said and done. And yes, I still have that feeling. Not a prediction, just a spidey sense. And some of what 
some of that last year was initially fed by my, you know, questions regarding his potential disqualification via Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, its insurrectionist disqualification clause, which everyone had sort of poo-pooed at the time. That, of course, changed somewhat on our very last show of last year when minutes before we signed off, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump was, in fact, an insurrectionist and thus could not appear on the ballot in Colorado. That was then followed by a similar ruling from the Secretary of State in Maine a few days later, all of which will now be heard before the U.S. Supreme Court in oral arguments on February 8. So that's coming up. But aside from disqualification or the possibility of that, there is, of course, all of Trump's many legal problems and how that might affect Republicans once they start focusing on the actual race. Well, in New Hampshire, they are focusing on the race because they're going to be voting in the primary on uh, January 23, if not before. And in New Hampshire, the idea that Donald Trump is a mile ahead of all his competitors, no reason to even think about it, he couldn't possibly lose, well, new polling suggests otherwise. With Nikki Haley now trailing Donald Trump only by single digits in at least one poll out today, according to a new CNN poll conducted by the University of New Hampshire, while Trump still holds a meaningful lead With the backing of 39% of likely Republican primary voters in New Hampshire, Haley is now just seven points behind him with 32% of likely Republican voters. So what happened to that idea that nobody could possibly catch Donald Trump for the nomination? I was told I wasn't supposed to pay attention to any of the races on the Republican side because Donald Trump had it all sewn up. Support for Haley has risen 12 points since the last CNN University of New Hampshire poll back in November, continuing an upward trajectory that began last summer while her opponents, including Trump, have seen their numbers either remain stable or tick slightly downward since autumn. The rest of the field lags far behind Trump and uh, and Haley, with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie coming in at 12 percent. Internet performance artist Vivek Ramaswamy comes in at 8% in this poll. Ron DeSantis at just 5%. And Ouch. everyone else at 1% or less in the state, according to CNN and UNH. Haley's support, they, they say, has grown dramatically among those voters registered as undeclared. That's what New Hampshire calls its independent Registrants. She's up 18 points among independents since November. It has also grown, support for her has grown 20 points among those who are ideologically moderate. Those gains come amid a push from her campaign in the state, including an endorsement last month from New Hampshire's very popular Republican governor, Chris Sununu. Now, without a contested Democratic primary in the state, You could see, as I noted, some independents or even Democrats crossing over to have a say in the Republican primary uh, voters who might have otherwise not voted on the Republican side. So as usual on all polling, take it with a grain of salt and or as a snapshot of any particular current moment in time. 
But the strength of Haley's challenge to Trump in the state, as CNN describes it, speaks to the contours of New Hampshire's primary electorate, in which those more moderate and less staunchly partisan voters make up a larger share of participants than they do in the Iowa first-in-the-nation caucuses, where Trump is much farther ahead of his competition Uh, Though even there, things can change on caucus night. But generally, those who turn out to caucus, it takes time. It's cold in in Iowa this time of year. Very. Uh, And uh, storms, well, storms everywhere. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, so, you know, they tend to be more uh, partisan in Iowa than they do in New Hampshire. We'll see if that turns out to be uh, true. But in Iowa, Trump has crossed the 50 percent mark in the most recent polling on the Iowa caucuses. So that's a bit different than what we may see in New Hampshire. Now, this poll from CNN and University of New Hampshire is, is just one poll and it's just in New Hampshire for now, but it's not it's not the only one showing similar numbers. An American research group polling uh, poll that was released last Thursday shows Haley with within just four points, four points of Donald Trump. According to ARG, he has 37 percent. She has 33 percent. So, no, it ain't over by a long shot on the Republican side, at least in New Hampshire, which is followed by the South Carolina primary. Yes, Nikki Haley's own state, where she served as its popular two-term governor before going on to become Donald Trump's U.N. ambassador. So she could do well in South Carolina if Chris Christie former New Jersey governor, if he was serious about preventing Donald Trump from winning the nomination and from becoming, potentially becoming president again, yes, Chris Christie would drop out of the race and endorse Nikki Haley in advance of New Hampshire. He claims he's not going to do that, but he definitely should if he really means it about trying to knock Donald Trump out. He should certainly do it after New Hampshire if she comes in as well as these polls suggest she might uh, in advance of South Carolina. But here's the main corrective that I wanted to include today. A bit of a corrective to all the bedwetting that we have seen from Democrats who are freaking out of late about Joe Biden losing to uh, to Trump in uh, these swing state polls that uh, several of them came out before the end of the year in New Hampshire, at least, where voters are already thinking about the 2024 election. Since they are already voting in it, just about a, a state which has a history of swinging between red and blue on the uh, presidential level. Joe Biden, according to a new poll out today from USA Today, Boston Globe and Suffolk University, uh, though incredibly, by the way, USA Today holds this this number until the 10th paragraph in their coverage. But it says, a quote, in a hypothetical general election matchup, Biden led Trump 42 to 34. That's Joe Biden over Donald Trump by eight points in polling that, uh, by the way, also included independent candidate uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, He came in at eight percent. So with Kennedy in the race, uh, Biden still beats Trump, at least in New Hampshire, by eight points. 
The polling two weeks before the Granite State's pivotal primary also finds, uh, and, and this is USA Today's lead here, that half of Democrats, 49 percent, and nearly three in 10 independents, almost 30 percent, uh, rank the future of democracy as their most important issue this year outpacing even the economy, which usually tops the lists in these polls. Uh, that's helpful uh, since on Monday, President Biden delivered his second speech in four days on concerns about, yes, democracy and freedom when he spoke at the uh, from the pulpit of the historic Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, site of a deadly mass shooting by white nationalists back in 2015. Said one independent New Hampshire voter uh, in this coverage from USA Today, uh, this is a 50-year-old nurse who plans to vote for Nikki Haley in the primary in New Hampshire, but Joe Biden in the general election. She said, quote, it's really just all morphed into saving democracy. She said, uh, we need to we need democracy to be protected in this world. And so that then we can fight for reproductive freedom so that we can work on climate change so that we can have conversations. Yes, conversations about actual issues again. Wouldn't that be fun? She says the whole political theater has just evolved into partisan craziness. But I think my issue now is democracy. Good. Uh, well, welcome aboard, uh, Christine Hayes of uh, Rochester, New Hampshire. Glad to have you on. Uh, have you have you on board? Yeah, I think it's my issue now, too, for a change. <laughs> uh, overall, from a list of nine issues, they report democracy was chosen as the most important, followed by immigration and then, finally, the economy. No other issues broke into double digits. For the record, according to this poll, abortion is uh, the best issue for Joe Biden. By 2 to 1, 48% to 25%, those surveyed say Biden's stance on abortion makes them more likely, not less likely, to support him. Among independents, these swing voters who often determine elections, especially in states like New Hampshire, that divide is actually even larger, 52 to 20 percent. Not even close. Also in the same poll, though USA Today did not mention this at all, but The Hill did in their coverage of this poll, Democratic voters are... Uh, this is the Hill writing. Democratic voters are fairly enthusiastic about Biden as their party's nominee on a scale of one to ten, with one being very enthusiastic and ten being I'm sorry, with one being very unenthusiastic okay. and ten being very enthusiastic. Super stoked. Super stoked. The average <laughs> rating is a six point one three, according hmm. to the uh, survey. Now, what does that mean? Doesn't mean much, but. If you compare it to Republican voters and what they have to say and how enthusiastic they are about supporting Donald Trump, well, the survey found the average rating for the former president sits at 5.93 compared to 6.13 for Joe Biden. So 
you know, a lot of people say, sure, I'll vote for uh, Joe Biden. I'm not very enthusiastic about him. On the other hand, all those MAGA voters cannot wait to vote for Donald Trump. Well, at, again, at least in New Hampshire, uh, there is more enthusiasm for Joe Biden among Democratic voters than there is for Donald Trump among Republican voters. The poll of 1,000 likely primary voters was taken by landline and cell phone from January 3 to January 7. So this is a very fresh poll. It's just over the last few days. It's got a margin of error, plus or minus 3%, but you get the point. As USA Today notes, in some ways, New Hampshire isn't a particularly representative state with an overwhelmingly white population. And politics that leans libertarian, though a libertarian lean, a white libertarian lean, would seem to lean towards Donald Trump and MAGA, but not in this case. And as they note, it is a place where the residents already have begun paying close attention to the presidential campaign and its candidates with views that could prove to be a harbinger for the rest of the country. Which is why I wanted to share it. Uh, their focus on such a fundamental precept on the survival of the American experiment itself underscores how high the stakes of this election seem to many citizens, writes USA Today. So we will see. But as noted, uh, this election year is almost guaranteed not to be whatever you may think that it will be this year. Uh, and, and navigating the terrain with a corporate media that's not particularly helpful in a lot of cases, navigating that terrain will not be easy. But, of course, that's what we're here to hopefully help both you and me do in the uh, weeks and months ahead. So uh, speaking of things that could have a profound effect on the electorate in the months ahead, Donald Trump was in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals today arguing ridiculously that presidents are absolutely and completely immune from all criminal charges for any and all activities carried out while they are serving as president. That, of course, is something that even he knows to be utter nonsense. His attorneys seem to have a very difficult time making the case for it today. Let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with that story. As ridiculous as it is, uh, that's straight ahead on the Bradcast, plus Desi Doyne and the Green News Report all ahead today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. We'll be back soon. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stop? Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. You're never going to get my love either. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, yeah, Mr. Big Stuff was in uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals on Tuesday, arguing, as I noted, uh, just absurdly. 
And, you know, watching uh, so many in the media taking these arguments seriously, I guess that's what you have to do. I mean, it's an unprecedented case. It's before the uh, three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit. They're taking it seriously. We all must take it seriously. But in truth, it's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, this notion that presidents of the United States are absolutely and completely immune from any and all criminal charges for any and all activities that they carry out while they're serving as president, as long as they're president— and they're doing something that is in any way somehow related to their job as president, as uh, Donald Trump is arguing that uh, instigating an insurrection was on January 6th, as long as their president, you know, as, as Nixon, to paraphrase Nixon, uh, if, uh, when a president does it, by definition, it's legal. Well, no, it is not. And if that's where we are going, we are going to a very, very dark place. And by the way, we may be going to a very, very dark place. But in this case, uh, this argument is something that even Donald Trump, I believe, knows to be utter nonsense. But because it's believed to be one of the very few issues that a criminal defendant can make before a trial— an interlocutory appeal, as they call it, that happens before the trial rather than afterwards, uh, because uh, these issues are uh, one of very few issues that can actually be made before the trial that can, in the bargain, whether he wins it or not, it can delay that trial, uh, you know, as the matter is heard, as these appeals are heard. And that is his point and his strategy. Now, he is, of course, uh, making it this case in the federal indictment uh, uh, case, <clears throat> case brought by special counsel Jack Smith for his Trump's attempts to steal the 2020 election with the January 6th insurrection and through other means. But as Washington Post described it on Tuesday, three judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit heard unprecedented arguments on Tuesday on whether the U.S. Constitution makes former presidents immune from criminal prosecution. I'm reading this with a straight face. On (laughs) December 1st, uh, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin had rejected the immunity arguments ruling that the office of the presidency does not confer a, quote, get-out-of-jail-free pass. That's right. Presidents are not kings. The appeal, of course, is vital to Trump's strategy of trying to postpone this case until after the November election, and that's what this is all about. Uh, If he wins, if he can push this back long enough, if he can prevent the trial from even happening, and he can get to the November And he can be nominated. We'll see. Uh, Then when and if he's able to win, well, that would empower him to order the Justice Department to abandon the prosecution of him altogether. uh, Or even he could pardon or try at least to pardon himself. A self-pardon has never been done. But of course, uh, we've never had a Donald Trump either. So. With Trump himself in the courtroom on Tuesday, the three-judge panel in Washington during a hearing that lasted just over an hour, about an hour 15, uh, the uh, three-judge panel expressed deep skepticism 
on Tuesday, according to Washington Post, that the former president was immune from prosecution on charges that he plotted to steal the 2020 election. The judges, who are two Biden appointees and one George H.W. Bush appointee, by the way, if you notice, he hasn't yet started attacking those judges, even though two of them are Biden appointees. Well, he's so very transparent about it all. After you rule for against him, then he's going to attack oh, you as a racist going and horrible be, and an idiot yes. and whatever. Of course, they were radical Biden-appointed judges <laughs> out to get him, but he hasn't said that yet. Yes, but up until that point. But when then he loses, yes. oh, he'll, yeah. Uh, very transparent. Yeah, get, get some uh, security at your houses, uh, judges. I think you may need them, uh, depending on how this goes. In any event, uh, the uh, the three judges repeatedly pressed Trump's lawyers lawyer to defend the claims that Trump was shielded from criminal charges for acts that he says fell within his official uh, duties as president. You know, telling people to march to the Capitol and fight like hell or you're not going to have a country anymore, as presidents do. <laughs> and the judges appeared dubious that the founding fathers actually envisioned absolute immunity for presidents after they leave office. Trump's other argument uh, that was uh, before the court is that since he was already acquitted by a U.S. Senate vote during his second impeachment trial, the one, uh, the, the impeachment that was related to his January 6th insurrection, that it would be an unconstitutional violation, it would be double jeopardy, as uh, described in the Constitution, uh, if he were now to be tried in uh, the judicial system, in a criminal indictment, because he has already been acquitted by the U.S. Senate of these charges. And to be clear, of course, uh, yeah. you know, a majority of senators voted to convict him. They just didn't reach the threshold for removal. That's right. They, um, it was a, it was a, uh, the threshold is a two-thirds vote of the Senate, he was, however, found guilty by a large bipartisan 57 to 43 majority in the U.S. Senate at the end of that Senate trial that he says now somehow clears him from facing criminal charges. So, yes, majorities, to be clear, in both uh, of Congress in both the House and the Senate did find Donald Trump guilty. So if we're going by that, you know. But because he wasn't removed from office, he's claiming that trying him again now in criminal court, in the judicial process, somehow that's an unconstitutional act of double jeopardy, which is also an uh, unprecedented argument as well. It is also a ridiculous one and one that goes against Donald Trump's own attorney's uh, claims during the impeachment trial. Judge Florence Pan, she's one of the uh, Biden appointees, she noted that during the second impeachment trial, the lawyer who represented Trump suggested that, in fact, uh, impeachment was inappropriate because he could later face criminal prosecution. Donald Trump's own lawyers telling senators at the time, quote, we have a judicial process in this country. We have an investigative process in this country to which no former office holder is immune. That's what Donald Trump's own lawyer said at the time during the impeachment. Now that they're uh, using the judicial process to hold him accountable, they're saying, well, you can't do that because we already had a uh, 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 what's it called? An impeachment trial. 
Judge Pan said, quote, it seems that many senators relied on that, that those comments from uh, from Trump's attorneys. Many senators relied on that in voting to acquit Trump. Many of those Republican senators noted as much at the time. She went on to uh, to say to Sauer, as John Sauer, Trump's attorney now, quote, your client took the position during the impeachment proceedings that there would be an option for criminal prosecution later. And it's in the congressional record, she said. And I guess the question is, she said, what has changed or why have you changed your position? Well, of course, we know why he changed his <laughs> position, because now he's being held accountable. Now, I've been in touch uh, throughout the day with Brad Blog's legal analyst, Ernie Canning. He described uh, Trump's lawyer Sauer's answer in that uh, colloquy back and forth as, quote, legal gibberish. He told me that, quote, a party cannot play fast and loose with legal principles and expect a favorable result. So, for example, in this exchange, Judge Pan asked Trump's attorney, John Sauer, if there would be any mechanism to hold a president accountable for any crimes that he commits while in office, such as, for example, ordering the assassination of his political rivals in order to stay in power. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6? He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. If what if proceed? you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that? Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Madison and... Uh, 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 and our constitutional tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes, no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is. Is, no. is my answer is qualified? Yes, there is a political process that would have to occur under our, the structure of our constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. In these exceptional cases, I've asked you a, a series of hypotheticals about criminal actions that could be taken by a president and could be considered official acts, and I've asked you, would such a president be subject to criminal prosecution if he's not impeached or convicted? Requirement. And your answer, your yes or no answer, is no. I, I believe I said qualified yes if he's impeached or convicted first. Uh, we may my be saying my question the same thing. was okay, so he's not impeached or conviction been convicted. Let's put that aside. You're saying a president could sell pardons, could sell military secrets, could order SEAL Team Six to assassinate a, a political rival. Sale of military secrets strikes me as something that might not be held to be an official act. The sale of pardons is something that's come up historically okay. and was not prosecuted. But your brief so, says that communicating with an executive branch agency is an official act. And communicating with a foreign government is an official act. That's what presidents do. Very, very formidable structural check against the astonishing radical action of prosecuting a former president as official act. But you're conceding that presidents can be criminally prosecuted under certain circumstances. Specifically, if they're impeached and convicted, I think that's the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause. And isn't that also a concession that a president can be criminally prosecuted for an official act? because presidents can be impeached for official acts. Under those unique circumstances. Correct. But given that you're conceding that presidents can be criminally prosecuted under certain circumstances, 
doesn't that narrow the issues before us to can a president be prosecuted without first being impeached um, and convicted? It, 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 all of your other arguments seem to fall away. Your separation of powers arguments fall away. Your policy arguments fall away if you concede that a president can be criminally prosecuted under some circumstances. So, uh, yeah, she was sort of uh, narrowing him down the alley there, oh, leading him down the alley. <laughs> she uh, trapped him well, I think. In other words, forcing him to concede that, yeah, OK, so sure, you can prosecute a president in an impeachment trial. Therefore, there is well, no absolute immunity. Well, right. Yeah. You can prosecute. You can criminally charge a president, but only if he or she, I guess, was impeached first and convicted, then he could be criminally charged. Right. That is it, the Trump attorney team's uh, that's argument. That's their argument. Yeah. But as as uh, Judge Pan notes there that, well, if he is impeached and he's convicted, then he could be criminally charged. That means, no, presidents do not have absolute immunity. Even Trump's lawyers are admitting that presidents can, in fact, be charged criminally, which goes against their entire claim here that oh, yeah. there can be no that a president has absolute immunity for any crimes committed while in office. any crime sending seal team six because you know that's part of the government so it would be his uh duty to give orders to seal team six even if he orders seal team six to go out and assassinate his political rivals that would be legal unless he was impeached and convicted as you can see, it makes little sense. As noted, it's ridiculous. Someone uh, mentioned on Twitter today, Trump's position is apparently that Joe Biden can kill him <laughs> if 34 senators approve. Because if you get away with it, if you're acquitted in the U.S. Senate, apparently uh, Joe Biden, who is president now, has the uh, <laughs> the, the the right to kill Donald Trump. Throughout the hearing, the uh, New York Times reports Trump appeared mostly emotionless when Trump's lawyer, John Sawyer, answered during the second round of questions from the panel. Trump nodded in agreement twice, including when the lawyer hinted at a political motivation for the prosecution and suggested a dark path ahead for the country. Should the case go forward, as Sauer noted, and I'll spare you from having to listen to his voice again. It was difficult to hear. Uh, that was the audio that was piped out from the uh, from the federal courtroom. Uh, as Sauer noted, quote, we are in a situation where we have the prosecution of the chief political opponent who is winning in every poll, the federal election coming uh, upcoming next year. Well, I don't know about that. See our previous segment. Anyway, um, we have a, a case where a political opponent uh, is, is winning every uh, federal election next year and is being prosecuted by the administration that he's seeking to replace. He said that is the frightening future that is tailor-made to launch cycles of recrimination that will shake our republic for the future. Which, of course, sounds more like a threat to me mm -hmm. than a legal point, to be frank. Justice Department Assistant Special Counsel Prosecutor uh, James Pierce dismissed Team Trump's assertions that holding presidents accountable for crimes committed while in office would result in a flood of litigation against 
presidents in the future, at least if they are not named Donald Trump, because the allegations against Trump are fundamentally unprecedented. And so this notion that we're all of a sudden going to see a, a floodgate, I think the you know, again, the careful investigations in the in the Clinton era uh, didn't result in any charges. The fact that this investigation did doesn't reflect that we are going to see a sea change of vindictive tit for tat uh, prosecutions in the future. I think it reflects the fundamentally unprecedented nature of the criminal charges here. Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has with private individuals and using the levers of power, sought to fundamentally subvert the democratic republic and the electoral system. Uh, and frankly, if that kind of fact pattern arises again, uh, I think it would be awfully scary if there weren't some sort of mechanism by which to reach that uh, in, criminally. Right. It doesn't reflect that this is going to happen again and again now that we've broken the seal on this, now that we've we've uh, brought criminal charges against the president. All uh, future presidents are going to bring charges against former presidents. What it reflects is uh, Trump's opinion that if you do this to me, I will do this to you. He will try to bring uh, charges against anyone and everyone that he can if he is ever allowed to become, get anywhere near the White House again. That's uh, not his legal argument. That's his legal threat, as I see it. Now, having listened to the full hearing on Tuesday morning, uh, Brad Blog legal analyst Ernie Canning, he reports today that he believes there are only two possibilities of note in this case, that the court will swiftly dismiss the appeal without even getting to the merits of the case due to a unanimous 1989 ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court written by Antonin Scalia that says only matters that are specifically noted in the Constitution can be used for an interlocutory appeal. In other words, to prevent uh, the trial from happening uh, in advance, the other items, you can appeal pretty much whatever you want, but it happens after the trial. You have to um, wait until after a verdict is reached before you can argue this. Unless it's something that's specifically named in the Constitution. For example, like double jeopardy. Um, but not this dreamt-up absolute presidential immunity nonsense, which is nowhere to be found in the in the Constitution. Uh, if that's the, the case and they swiftly dismiss this uh, appeal, then the case would quickly move back to the lower court and could be restarted. It would restart the trial, which is currently scheduled to begin on March 4. Of course, Donald Trump would then no doubt try to appeal to either the full en banc uh, D.C. Court of Appeals or and or the U.S. Supreme Court. Or he would, of course, be able to try the same argument if they dismiss it, saying it's the wrong time for this to happen. They would just uh, he, he could bring that same argument again later, but only after a conviction. Or the other option, uh, as Ernie Kenning sees it, is uh, that the uh, three judge panel issues an opinion that reaches the merits and upholds Chutkin's rulings. That would, uh, in theory, also restart the clock on the trial though it would undoubtedly lead to a um, an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Nobody, at least that I have so far read, 
uh, in response to the, uh, to the hearing on Tuesday in the D.C. Court of Appeals, nobody seems to believe that the court is actually going to uphold Trump's arguments. It's all a matter of how they are going to reject it and how long it will take and what comes thereafter. So we shall see. An opinion is expected from the panel either this Friday or next. I might put my money on this Friday because I think they understand how quickly this needs to move. And how dumb it is. But we shall see. All right, let's take a quick break and we will come back. Oh, yes, Desi Doyen, her latest Green News report. That's still ahead today as wild weather whiplashes the nation from almost coast to coast. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. As you uh, you made a good point over the uh, over the break there about the yes, three I thought so. the, the three judges <laughs> who were uh, hearing that case in D.C. three women, two of them women of color. Oh, he's going to be mad, <laughs> and of course, two of them Biden appointees. Yep. Oh, he's not going to be happy. He's about He's not going to like that at all. In the meantime, across the nation on Tuesday, Desi Doyen. Uh, Wild weather from coast to coast. Yes, there's a series of powerful storms that are wreaking havoc across the U.S., so please be careful out there. It's uh, bringing all kinds of severe weather to the Pacific Northwest, the Great Plains, the Midwest, the South, and the East Coast. Um, Heavy rains in the East Coast, blizzard conditions in the Northwest, and high winds, um, tornadoes in the South. 25 million people from Florida to Virginia are under tornado watches. Um, About several hundred thousand are are without power in the east in frigid temperatures. Um, at least three deaths have been reported from uh, from tornadoes in the south. So please, 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 please be careful out there. Be careful about there, out there. Uh, and, of course, things are probably only going to get worse in the uh, weeks, months, years ahead, as discussed yet again in our latest Green News Report. You know, a lot of people were thinking... When is winter going to show up? We had no ice on the ponds. We had one of the warmest Decembers on record. No snow in the air. Well, winter shows up with a vengeance in the U.S., Europe, and U.K. Still extremely difficult to to fathom how we go from a healthy population in the Bering Sea to two closures in a row. Alaska's snow crab season canceled again for the second year in a row. Plus, America's school buses are going green with new federal funding. All of those wheels go round and round. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's amazing. It's like a white miracle. (laughs) It's snow. It's snow. I remember snow. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, last week you had COVID. Now you're better. Yep. This week, 
I had COVID, but I think I'm almost better. So can we get back to just saving the world? Is that too much to ask? Yes, please. Okay. What do you got for us today? Well, stark weather extremes are hitting Europe. Over the weekend, an outbreak of frigid Arctic air in Nordic countries has paralyzed transport systems and pushed energy prices to record highs. But in warmer Britain and Germany, a string of intense storms dumped heavy rain instead of snow, triggering widespread flooding, disruption evacuations, and crop failures. The, quote, unprecedented flooding over weeks even canceled train travel in the Channel Tunnel between Paris and London. U.K. scientists link the flooding to man-made climate change because a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture and favors rain, not snow, and they warn that winter flooding will be the new norm in the U.K. Well, if we're going to start listening to warnings now. Here in the U.S., after a record warm December, officials hope that this round of winter storms will put a dent in the snow drought across much of the country. In California, the statewide mountain snowpack that provides a third of the state's water supply is at its lowest level in 10 years. In the Great Lakes, ice cover is at record lows since record keeping began in the 1950s. That's great for cargo ships on the lakes, but bad news for ice fishing. More than 50 fishermen had to be rescued from an ice flow that broke off in Minnesota. Soda. Yeesh. Forecasters warn the U.S. should get ready for multiple outbreaks of the polar vortex this winter. Extreme Arctic cold that will test warning systems and infrastructure. In an interview with Climate Crocs, Nebraska's state climatologist, Dr. Martha Shulsky, explains why we're seeing more Arctic air outbreaks than in the past. But what it seems to be linked to is those strong changes that we're seeing in the Arctic, loss of sea ice for certain regions of the Arctic. That's resulting in the wavy jet stream pattern and more of these polar air outbreaks. Well, you know, when it gets cold in the U.S. from a polar vortex, Fox News will just announce that climate change is over. True. Meanwhile, in Alaska, state fisheries managers have again canceled the economically important snow crab commercial fishery for the second year in a row. Snow crab populations have plunged 90 percent since 2020. Research from NOAA concludes that the cause was a marine heat wave linked to climate change that crashed the snow crab's food supply, driving them to starvation. Well, so much for another season of The Deadliest Catch. A new study offers yet another reason to ditch plastic water bottles for reusable bottles. Researchers found that people drinking plastic bottled water are also ingesting hundreds of thousands of microscopic pieces of plastic with every liter. Mm, delicious. The researchers say the data show how extensive microplastics and even tinier nanoplastics are in bottled water and said more research is needed to assess their effects on human health. So just get your own water bottle, fill it up with water. Is that so difficult? Now, we already know that air pollution from burning fossil fuels kills 8 million people globally every year. Now, a new study calculates that air pollution from the production of fossil fuels alone kills nearly 8,000 people a year in the United States and causes $77 billion in public health damages from heart and lung diseases. 
But some good news. About time. The Biden administration released another $1 billion in grants for school districts to replace polluting diesel school buses with cleaner and all-electric versions to protect kids from harmful air pollution and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But still no seatbelts on those buses, I bet. And finally, coffee chain Starbucks says it will now allow customers to use their own reusable cups for all visits, including dry through and mobile orders, a, quote, milestone move to reduce the massive amount of landfill waste the company produces. So I already got my own water bottle. Now I got to get my own coffee cup. Yep. <sighs> so strict. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. So just one cup of coffee, then I'll go. Take it away, daddy Thank you very much, Desi Doyan, yep. our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you Kind enough and generous enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate and help us stay on your public airwaves. Uh, drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter. You will find me at the Bradblog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. No.